0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you, music and worship team. Thank you, Emily, for reading our text this morning. Uh, if you haven't already turned to Psalm 70, go ahead and turn there uh, and hold the page. I have a few announcements that I want to begin as, uh, with this morning as we get going. Uh, the first, on August 13th, that's a Saturday, we're going to be having a, a church work day. Uh, So we're going to be encouraging you to come alongside. We have several different projects. Uh, We're going to be kind of building out where our water fountains are, a kitchen area in that area. We're going to be painting. We're going to be doing some stuff with audio and tech. And so uh, you'll see a sign-up registration for that uh, that you can hopefully uh, join in and we would encourage you to come and, and be a part. If, uh, if you're brand new, that's a great day to really get connected with people, show up, and uh, kind of labor alongside them, and that would be an opportunity to hopefully get connected. Uh, the following Sunday, the day after our church workday, we're going to be gathering at Flatiron Park, and so it's about a half mile down 8600 South right here, so really close, Um, And we're going to be having our normal time of worship. You're going to bring your chairs and we'll have music teaching and going to be celebrating baptism on that morning. If you haven't been baptized as an outward symbol of your commitment to follow Jesus, uh, we'd love to talk with you. You can connect with us at our connect table in the, in the lobby and to find out more information about that, but we'd love to uh, and would encourage you to come and be baptized. Uh, community group launch on August 21st uh, when we'll kind of kick off our community groups again. Uh, we're still looking for people to host. And lead, and I, I want to cast some vision for that even this morning briefly, uh, it, because we've received some questions in regards to, like, hey, what what's the makeup of a community group? And it's literally a, a group of people, right? Like, it can be a group of men, a group of singles, a group of young professionals, a group of families. It could be a mixture of all those. So, I say all that because somebody are like, hey, I would love to, like, lead a group of men, and that be our community group. I'm like, awesome, we'd love for you to do that, and we'd love to equip you to do that, and we're going to be walking together. Community groups serve three purposes. One, content. We take sermon-based discussion from our sermon time, and we dialogue, and we wrestle with that text. A place of care for you get to kind of connect with one another and know the needs that are amongst our family, and then a place of community to be known. And so we would just encourage you, encourage you one, to be involved, and two, would encourage you if some of you are interested or curious about what it would look like to start a group. Some of you are like, hey, I grabbed dinner with like three of my friends. On Could that be a community group? Yes, if, you're, if it's a space like where you're hosting. And, and walking through sermon-based discussion, it's a place of community, it's a place of care. Yes, we would love to resource that, encourage that. Why in the world would we want to bring it under the umbrella of Church of the Valley? Well, because we believe movement happens when that gets organized, and we want to help filter people to those groups and help them flourish. And so if you're interested in that, have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, that's our community group launch on August 21st. The fall is coming. We're going to be kicking off some new things. We have student ministry going to begin in the fall. We're going to kind of begin taking some steps. If you look around, we got a lot of young kids, and uh, they're getting older. And, uh, and so it's like, well, how do you have a student ministry? Well, these kids get older, and they step in, and we, uh, we want to make space for them. And so there's a lot of things coming with the fall. We're excited about that. And then, lastly, parent dedications on August twenty eighth. You'll see a sign up. These will be coming out in email form. If you're not a part of our email list, I would encourage you to uh, sign up. There's a link via our app, which our app will be shifting in a few weeks. But you can still sign up there. Um, Parent dedications is an opportunity for us to recognize one that children are are a vital part of our family, and as we seek to make disciples. Kids are included in that disciple heading. And so how do we shepherd and and love and care for the next generation? And it's not a commitment. I was hesitant even really to call it parent dedication because really it's like a church dedication because our church is committing. And when I say church, it's not like, hey, those pastors up there, all right? Like that's you guys are the church. I'm included in that. We are, we are committing to care, disciple, love, and shepherd and see these, these kids in our ministry grow up to be mature disciples of Jesus. And so um, if you're like, hey, what's the, the appropriate age group? Eventually, we would love to see that within the first year of their life. But since we've never done that, like if you want to bring your 17-year-old up here and we dedicate, we can do that, all right? And it wouldn't be out of place. And we wanna pray for their salvation. We wanna pray for their fruitfulness in God's kingdom and pray for us as we commit to lovingly shepherd um, that child together. So, lastly, I wanna bring up the Kenny family. You guys come on up. Uh, The Kenny family, these guys have been with us uh, probably just shy of almost two years. Uh, Jake, Abby, Sailor, and Judah. We love this family. they came to us when we were at our, our foothill location. Uh, if you know anything about Jake, Jake has a passion for action sports. Uh, he's participated in that for many years. He's participated in that. He's a humble man, but he's participated in that uh, professionally for years and uh, is pretty much a sight to see on anything on wheels, okay? Okay. And I, I say that because what I love about Jake is Jake has taken something that he's passionate about, something that the Lord has given him talent in, uh, something that the Lord has really used in his life and, and has made it into a ministry. And, and God has given him the, the passion to use these talents to make God famous and impact the world through action sports by way of evangelism. So he, uh, if you watch, if he goes to a skate park, You know, he puts on, he brings pizza, and he's got a captive audience that's ready to like. Yeah, we'll listen to anything you have to say. And uh, and so he has a very unique ministry, and I want him to share about that because he's going to be shifting and, and going to be stepping into a role with an organization called Ride Nature. And, uh, and, and this is a bold step. It's going to require their family to move, and so we're sad to be losing these guys, but we're thankful for the ministry that they're stepping into. And the reason I bring them up, because I, I want to, one, we want to pray for them and support them in any way we can. But two, I want you to just see the unique ways in which God gives us opportunity to use our talents for the kingdom. All right? So here's a mic. Take Thank it away. You. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Justin. Um, first off, yeah, we are, we are 15 months. Um, we've been coming. We started coming right away, Ecclesia, Foothill. First Sunday we were here. Uh, when we moved here from California, um, before we moved here, and we were praying for boldness. And let me just tell every, you, thank you to everybody in this church um, that's taken us in. Uh, just been there for our family in so many ways through the birth of Judah. Um, we we're just so thankful for this church and this, this community here. And as we were praying for boldness and um, coming here, this church built that in for us. So Ride Nature is something that we're going to be um, doing and spearheading. Ride Nature is an organization um, that is based out of Fort Myers, Florida. Um, They have a headquarters in Nicaragua, and we will be launching the California headquarters. What we do with Ride Nature is we serve the local uh, action sports community through skateboarding, surfing, and bike riding. And we actually have a discipleship intern class where we're going to take young adults and teach them about how to do action sports ministry. We plug them into missions. So there's 13 different countries that um, we will work with and serve and um, bring action sports Uh, to those countries, but bring Jesus to the center of it all. So just getting to share about Jesus through Action Sports, and we get to launch with uh, Ride Nature California. So we'll be spearheading that, and this is our last Sunday. So um, we just thank everyone for being here. And then the boldness, like I mentioned. What we learned through the church and everyone that's been part of this congregation has built us up um, in the way where we have felt called back to California, to be bold, um, to be just... Uh, leading in the form of what we saw here in community to bring that back um, mm-hmm. to a place that you're from, but do it completely different. So, yeah. kind of lost for words because it's hard yeah. to speak. I mean, we're uh, we're really excited. So, all in all, if you don't f- follow us yet, I mean, we're gonna hang out for a little afterwards. Reach out. We can grab emails. We can share with you what we're doing. Um, check out Ride Nature. Uh, we'll have monthly updates. A lot going on, and we're gonna f- we're gonna fill Justin in as well. So. Can share what's going on. If you have any youngins that later on want to, you know, intern, we'll 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 have that. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. right nature, Salt Lake City. I can see it. Um, we love these guys, and one of the things that these guys shared with me that I I want to highlight because I think it's it's a beautiful picture of really just feeling the call of God upon your life and being obedient to the call of God on your life. And so these guys, uh, they just had a picture, and if you don't mind me sharing a little bit of the the vision, these guys had a dream of just headed back to California, and it's like every car on the road is headed out of California. Everyone's coming to Utah, right? And there's many reasons why they're like, let's get away from this place. And there was a sense of where they had a vision of just them being on the road, and they're the only ones headed back. And they're driving down that road, and they want to bring the gospel in a very unique way. And, uh, and it's hard. It's challenging. Anybody who steps out and follows the call of God, when everyone else is going the other direction, and you're like, man, we're stepping back in. Financially, it's going to be challenging. Relationally, there, there's going to be things that are challenging. Just the, the leadership component is challenging. But following God is worth it. And so we're thankful to... Pray for them. We're thankful to come alongside them. Ridenature.org forward slash the Kenny family uh, is how you hear and follow their journey and support them financially. Uh, So we'll keep you updated with what they're doing. Uh, But I just was encouraged by their journey, wanted to pray for them this morning. So if you'll do this with me, if you'll join me in prayer, just hold out a hand to them. And uh, as a way of just an agreement, I want to pray over this family. Father, we thank you for the Kitty family. We thank you, Father, for uh, their calling. We thank you for uh, your voice in their life that is leading them, that is calling them. We pray for boldness. We pray for gospel fruitfulness. We pray for hundreds, if not thousands of people who come to faith in Jesus, who come to experience salvation in Jesus because of your calling on this family's life. Lord, use them. Pour them out for the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, you guys. Love you. Well, as we jump into Psalm 70 this morning, I'm, I'm not expecting you to remember, uh, but in 2019, I taught this passage. Everybody remembers that one, right? It was remarkable. It was the one where you went home, you're like, dude, my pastor hit a home run this morning. It didn't happen, all right? But I did preach it in 2019, okay? And uh, not from Psalm 70, but from Psalm 40. And what I mean by that is Psalm 40, verse 13 through 17, uh, is, is, it, it contains the passage of Psalm 70. So basically, Psalm 70 was just taken out of Psalm 40, and here we have it again in, in, in Psalm 70. We're going to look at it. Now, let me be a little bit vulnerable and honest with you today, okay? And I could have I just kept this to myself, but this is the normal flow for me uh, with summer in the Psalms. One, I start the summer, I'm really ambitious, I'm really excited about summer in the Psalms. It's, it's a change of pace, the way in which uh, you teach the Psalms, it's unique from other passages of scripture, so I'm usually like very excited and eager by the time we get to summer to jump into summer in the Psalms, and then by the end of July, approaching August, I go, when is Summer in the Psalms going to be over? True, true confession. And, and not that they're not helpful, it's just, I, I begin to get in this pattern of going, man, these are so redundant. I want something new. I want something fresh. I want something exciting. I want, and I just feel like over and over and over again, it's just about the need. God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. Now, I will say this, next week is our final week in Summer in the Psalms. You should be here because it's gonna be awesome, all right? That may be the one where you go like, hey, that was a home run, so come next week, okay? You gotta be here. But they grow a little bit redundant. And as I kind of opened up Psalm 70, I was like, man, it's more of the same. Not only is it more of the same, I've actually already preached this passage before. I've already covered this passage before. It's something that I've already taught previously. And while initially that was kind of defeating, I felt like the Lord began to use that in my preparation to speak some fresh insight about this passage. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, The neediness before God, the seeking of God, the cry of I need help before God is such a redundant pattern of the Psalms and saints of old. And, And my thing is, as I began to read it, I go, you know, I'm looking to this, I'm like, give me something fresh, give me something new, give me something. And ultimately, like what I'm asking that I need is the very thing that he's he's trying to give me, and I missed it, and I think it's easy for us to miss it, like we open up the text, and we just begin to read, and we just get caught up in this familiar pattern, but the very place, like being at a place of need, coming with our neediness before God, although we've already covered it, although we've already hit on it like six other psalms, this needy, 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 I'm needy before God. We need God. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer. We need someone to help us. We need someone to pull us out of this pit. We need someone to come down and bring salvation. And this is such a pattern of the saints of old that every single psalm like, cries out, like, this is the songbook of the saints. And so when they gather together, and they're singing, every song of their songbook includes this sense of, we need help. And I just go, why isn't that our pattern? I get bored with it. I'm like, give me something else. Give me a new song. And he's like, I want you to keep singing this. I want you to keep singing your neediness before me? Why are we coming together in worship and not crying out with our needs before God? What would a culture of neediness look like? What would a church marked by neediness before God rather than self-sufficiency look like? And I believe that's what God is inviting us into. Um, We look back and you're like, hey, Justin, you guys have had these like really... Random rhythms of prayer that you've set aside as a church and it's like 48 hours of prayer and week-long prayer Here's our goal. We're not trying to get you to be have like more religious activity in your life We're trying to move you to a posture of neediness before God And that was helpful for us to, to kind of see of going like we are a needy people But for some reason we and i'll get to that we come into a room and the neediness goes out the window And either one, we're we're scared to bring our confession before one another, our neediness even before God. We don't think He can help. We don't think that He's powerful. We don't think that He's capable. Or we just really believe that we don't have any needs, that we're pretty comfortable, and life is fairly easy. And I believe that we're invited, that The rhythm of the saints, when we read through the psalms, when we read through this psalm book, one of the quotes I quoted when I read Psalm 40 was this, one of the great benefits of reading the psalms is that they present us with patterns of life that the godly go through in every age. And in doing that, they encourage us that we're made of some of the same stuff of old. And they give us guidance, how to follow the pattern of godliness through the end. And I read that, and I read that this time, and I go, maybe we're not made of the same stuff of the saints of old, because their songbook included so much of this needy, I'm needy, I'm needy, I'm needy, and we live so much in a culture of independence and self-sufficiency that I'm like, I don't, we're not, we're not at a place of need, we're not desperate for the things of God, we're not hungering for the things of God, we're pretty satisfied, we're pretty content. And we're good at keeping an arm's distance from God. As long as God gives me what I want, the things that I really need, that's what we think, and that we're okay as long as he's like the cosmic wish granter and, and just gives me the things that cause me to have pleasure and happiness in life, then we're good. And what God is trying to lead us to is what we're actually hungry for, what our soul is really longing for, what, what you really need, what you really are desiring to experience is a deep relationship with him. We need him. We need him. And That's why he doesn't come and just pull us out of the pit and put us on our feet and everything's good. Like, sometimes we're left there. And we read in this passage in Psalm 70, it jumps in, it says, make haste. You know what that means? Hey, God, would you hurry up? Anybody want God to hurry up? Come on. Neediness before God. Anybody like, God, where are you? Are you going to answer? Are you even around? Are you going to show up? Where I, we need you to answer, make haste. Next next line in my Bible it says, Make haste. God, hurry up. Hey God, hurry up. Hey God, hurry up. Let's like you you keep reading. Verse five, I'm poor and needy. God, hurry up. You're my help and deliverer. Oh Lord. Hurry up. He just keeps saying over and over, it's like, God. Hurry up. Like, we're, we're waiting. And maybe you're like, is that appropriate? Can I talk to God like that? Yes, you can. Yeah. Here's why. You don't have to bring your, like, if that's who you really are and that's where you really are, that's what God wants you to bring to him. God doesn't want you to bring some false religious activity. Your, like, plethora of words and flowery language, like you can come in a place of neediness before God and go, I need you to hurry up. Now, does he always answer quickly? No. Why? Why doesn't God hurry up? Why doesn't he come quickly? Because our moments of needs are opportunities to teach us about the character and nature of God. And it's to teach us about what we really need, what we think are needs, what we think we we truly have to have to have experience and fullness of life. And I want you to remember this question because I'm going to come full circle. The things that we think we really need to have fullness of life, we'll answer that at the very end of this morning. Our needs give us opportunities to discover truly who God is. I read this passage last week, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses two through four. And it talks about why did God lead the Israelites out into the wilderness? You'll remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years into the wilderness, that He might humble you, test it, humble you to get you to a place that you're not self-sufficient, to get you to a place that you recognize you don't have all that you need and you can't provide all that you need, that you actually have needs. That you're, he's, he's moving you to a place of need to show you that you have needs. He's testing you to know that was what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments, and he humbled you and he let you hunger And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make known to you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here's the thing. You can't be your own savior. You can't be your own provider. You have to have a savior. You have to have a provider. And in the midst God provided, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And the reality of this, this text is, is what we actually need when we come, make haste, O God, to deliver me, come quickly, come quickly, why does he leave us in a place of waiting? Because what we actually need is, is, is not more of something or something apart from him. What we need is not something from God, but we need God himself. We need God to show up. We say God solved the problem, God fixed the issue, but the bigger relationship is not what what the circumstances of life are faced, but truly like how are we experiencing God? Every need we experience, get this, every need we experience in this life brings about temptation. I I need more financially. And the tendency immediately for most of us is go into strategy mode and figure out what do I need to do to to get more financially. Now, the, the tension in this is like we don't sit idly by waiting for the check to come in the mail. There is action. God has called us to fruitfulness. But I think that the tendency for most of us is to go like outside of God to fix the problem rather than to run to God directly and and bring our needs before him and go, God, this is what I, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to provide? And oftentimes in our needs when we face difficulty, we're tempted to distrust God's provision because some of us believe that God truly He won't provide, or He can't provide. And so we don't wait. We take action and fail to trust. And God waits. And God waits. We're we're prone to, in these times, to fix our eyes on circumstances, and we miss what God truly has in store for us in the waiting. Psalm 40, verse 4 that we covered previously, said, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after the lie. In our times of need, in our times of reaching out and going, God, I need your help, there's always going to be a lie on the table. And the lie on the table is, don't trust God's provision, go and get it yourself. Now what Adam and Eve did, Adam and Eve in the garden God had provided every opportunity for them to walk in fullness and relationship with them, but they felt like they were still lacking. God has withheld from you. And so they ch- they chose to not trust the provision of God and chose what to do, to do what is right in their own eyes. So the lies we typically believe in the place of need and in our place of waiting is: I have to solve this, I have to fix this, I'm my own savior. Pastor J.D. Greer says, one of the things that keeps us from praying is simply this, we fail to recognize how utterly desperate we need God's help. And then J.D. Greer, quoting Paul Miller from The Praying Life, says, if you're not praying, it may well be because you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life to overcome. If, if I look at our church and I go, are we a, are we a praying church and that was one of the things, like as we kind of casted dream and vision for this coming year, we talked about believing God for immeasurably more. And it says that that God can do immeasurably more, the Ephesians passage says God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. What are we asking God for? What are we dreaming? What are we praying into? And the truth is is like to really become a praying church we we have to recognize and we have to come to a place and posture that going time, talent and money we could have all of that and be very unfruitful in the kingdom of God. The help we need is the true salvation from the Lord that the Lord would come in that the Lord would bring to our church what we need. We don't need more money, we don't need more time, we don't need more treasure what we need is God. We need God to show up. We're asking God to show up. We're needing to experience God. We can easily attempt to be our own Savior. And I want to show you where that leads. I I told you last week, I quoted Mark Sayers a ton last week as we, I just finished his book, um, A Non-Anxious Presence. It's fabulous about the remnant of the church and how God is working through leaders and people with a non-anxious presence. Uh, but we live in a, a culture and a society that is uh, very anxious. And I want, I want to show you, he, he gave a, a, a basically a little chart here that described most of our life. Our anxiety leads to independency, to more anxiety, to independency, to more anxiety, to independency, and we just continue to live in this cycle more and more, pulling further and further as we disconnect ourselves from God. What I mean by that is like, man, how gas is... Is, is growing astronaut, you know, it's, it's, the prices are, are crazy right now, and, and I can grow anxious over that, and the, the bills are, are coming in, and, and we got so much to provide for, and, you know, like all of the things of life just come at us, and in attempts to help ourselves, and attempts to save ourselves, and because God seems to be waiting and not coming quickly, we just go, I, I got to take care of it. And it moves us to a place of independency and ultimately pulling us away from our connection with God because the very nature of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to come to him with our needs. Like a relationship with Jesus comes going, I have a problem, it's called sin. And my sin separates me from you. And my sin separates me from spending eternity with you in heaven. And I have no way of fixing that. I have no way of solving that problem. But God, you in your loving kindness and grace and mercy and oversight, you sent Jesus you sent a Savior into the world. That if I come, that if I bring my need, if I present my, if I posture my life in a place of neediness before you, you meet me. You save me. You rescue me. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't it, it, it doesn't stop at that point and go from that point on. Like, great, he's taking care of your salvation, and now you're on your own again. No, we've been adopted into a family, and he becomes our father, and he cares for you, and he provides for you. But so often our posture is is not one of confession or need. It's, I got it all together, I'm good. To the sense of where, when we walked in this morning, and for the most part, like, hopefully, somebody at the door said, hey, good morning, how are you? You probably looked at them and said, like, oh, I'm good. Life's good. Everything's good. When in reality, deep down, you're going, it's not good. Things are broken. Things are hard. Things are terrible. Things are a struggle. But we never want to bring it. We never want to share it. We never want someone else to pray for us. We never want God to, I'll figure it out. And it leads to more and more anxiety. I've been there. When my parents, many of you have journeyed with us, when we've experienced, when my parents both got sick, and financially, we looked at their income, and I'm like, man, like how are we going to take care of these guys? How are we going to provide for these guys? And I'm like, we just moved here we just started a church i moved here with three kids under 4 years old and i'm like man i'm trying to start a church and and my parents are sick and you know, like we don't have enough financially to be able to provide for everyone and my parents are gonna need healthcare and I'm like maybe I need to go get another job and so I, I started in real estate and I started this business and that business and it's all about Justin Bindle trying to be savior to be my own help, to be my own rescuer, to be the person who can bring salvation to my family and I want you to know like I failed as as a pastor to go, man, God, you got to help me. I, I failed to bring those needs before you. And, and I just go, is that our pattern? Is that going to continue? Are we going to just continue to pretend that everything's okay? And so as I'm looking, I'm like, man, this is redundant. You're again, and I feel like God's like, well, you haven't learned it yet. You haven't learned to bring your needs before me. You haven't learned that I'm actually the only person who can save you. I'm the only person who can rescue you. I'm the only person who can bring help. Yeah, but you you never come. You're so slow. And he's like, keep seeking. Keep seeking. Because what you need is, is not the answer to this problem. What you need is more of me. Keep seeking. We're tempted to say in the midst of our needs that God is not enough, that God can't provide. And it takes the needs of life to surface and sometimes over and over and over again to move us to a place of desperation where we come and go, okay, I'm at the bottom. Psalm 40 is all about being in a pit. Go back and read Psalm 40. This passage is in the midst of it. David's in a pit. He's stuck. There is no way of getting out of that pit. And as C.S. Lewis famously put it, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Are we listening? Make haste, O God, to deliver me. I need deliverance. The place I'm in, I'm stuck. I can't deliver me. I can't get out of this. The season I I taught the Psalm 40 in was the summer of 2019, okay? We had no idea what was coming. We had no idea how stuck we would really feel the next year. We had no idea. And here's what I said in the summer of 2019. We didn't know this. You can go back, listen to Psalm 40. This is what I said. You're either in a pit, coming out of a pit, or going into a pit. Trials are part of life. Christians are not immune to trials. Trials are coming. This passage tells us trials are coming. There are going to be difficulties. David is preparing us, David is illustrating for us what it feels like to be stuck. We're stuck in relational stress. We're stuck in financial stress, we're stuck in our jobs, we're stuck in our homes, we're stuck in, we don't know what to do with our life, we're stuck, and it takes being stuck to look up. And I think it's important, we need to not overlook the simplicity of this, and I said, church, this is us, this is our next year. This is why we have family, this is why we got to bear one another's burdens. We're going to feel isolated. We're going to feel like we're the only ones who are stuck. And it's easy to walk in a room and pretend everything is okay. And David is telling us there's going to be times that are not going to be okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And we're going to be stuck. Anybody felt stuck in the last year? I felt stuck. And, and like in God's divine providence and and oversight. I'm like, church, this is us. This is gonna be us in the next year. And like many of us, that's what we've experienced. And the truth of the Bible is, like, again, it's coming again. And my question is, is what did we learn from the last one? What did we learn from the last pit? What did we learn from the last time of being stuck? Who delivered us? And did we really seek the like, get the refuge and salvation we were hoping for. Because when God saves, we're no longer stuck. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. I want you to practice something with me this morning, okay? It's, it's three words. I need help. That is so hard to say. You ready? One, two, three. I need help. Good class. Let's do it again. I need help. It's hard to say. It's like I'm not supposed to need help. I'm a grown man, right? I've been trained to, to figure out life on my own, to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm good. I don't need help. I don't need help. need somebody coming. Like, I I should be able to take care of myself. We look at our kids, and like yesterday, I'm guilty, had projects in our house we're trying to take care of, and Jet came to me, and I was like, Jet, figure it out. (laughs) All right? Like, you got to do it. Don't ask questions. Just figure it out. And I'm just, I'm training him to go like, oh, it's not okay to say I need help. When's the last time you reached out to somebody, said, I need help? When's the last time you told somebody, I need help? Corey Asbury has a song called Sparrows that talks about, like, God providing for the lilies of the field and the birds. And the line in there, it says, you take good care of me. I, it's funny because when I, when I hear that song and I sing that song, uh, I feel like a child when I sing that line. You take good care of me. Because it seems like I shouldn't have to have somebody take care of me. It's like we, we so come into a room and we pretend. We don't need help. But did you know that people want to help? People like genuinely want to help. People want to come alongside. People want to to walk alongside you. The, The foolishness and the lies that typically we believe is, I'm alone, I'm the only one who's ever faced this, I'm the only one who's feeling this, no one can understand what I'm going through, when in reality, we're kind of all walking through that same desperation of going, man, I need help. And people generally want to help. And God wants to help. Like, David was not ashamed when we, we read, to, to cry out his need for help. David wrote psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm going, help me, help me, deliver me, bring salvation, rescue me. David looks at himself as poor and needy. Do we see ourselves as poor and needy? It's hard to admit that. It's easier to be self-sufficient. It's easy to try to just take care of myself. We're fearful to make our needs known. I think for a couple reasons. What is it that causes us? Why, why do we? And I'm, I'm literally, I'm focusing on one verse. Like, make haste. God is, is slow to answer sometimes. And we're asking God to come quickly. But he causes us to wait, to, to grow us, and to give us what we really need. We're asking God to deliver us. Many of us feel stuck. And it's in our stuckness that, that it causes us to look up. And then we just, just owning up to the fact that all of us have needs. All of us, like, we want to learn that. We're needy people. But some of us, we, we live with a fear of losing status. There's an identity we're trying to uphold, like, that I'm okay. I, I think back, we, we used to have uh, uh, core groups. The, the C stood for confession. And the, the idea behind core groups was these were the four most unpracticed spiritual disciplines Confession, outreach, reading your Bible, and encouragement? That those are the four, like, want, that, that really we lacked participation in, but yet the saints of old, like, a sense of confession, of bringing their needs before one another and before God was the rhythm that they walked? Why is that, a, like, an unpracticed spiritual discipline? Why is that not a regular rhythm of our life? Confession. The very nature of the gospel confesses that we all have a need, right? But we live with a fear of losing status. We, we live with a pressure to have it all together, all the answers, all the provision, just to be our own Savior. We live with an enemy who wants to keep us away from the Savior. So our enemy communicates that you've got this. You don't need any help. You got this. You're a grown man. Everything I just said, Right? We live with a lie that I'm my own deliverer and, and in your own sense of delivering yourself it keeps you too busy to pursue God and allow him to accomplish this transforming work in your life. Like if we can just keep you busy, we can keep you disconnected from God. If you're constantly just living in the cycle of anxiety and independency and if we can just keep you running that cycle over and over and over again, guess what? You don't have time to pursue God. You don't have time to seek the thing your soul really needs. We live with the pleasure of building our own identity. We love being our own savior. We love taking care of our own needs. And we're like, I I find my identity. I'm, I'm finding my identity in what I do rather than who God's called me to be. And this is an unhealthy culture. And it's not the culture of our church that we want to see moving forward. We want to see a posture of a church that is needy before God, a church that truly gets down on their knees before God and says, I don't have anything to bring. A culture of neediness. Matthew chapter 5 describes it. Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read from the message because I think we get so caught up in the language and we've become so familiar with the text, we don't actually know what it's saying anymore. But I just want you to see, the, this is who Jesus says will experience the kingdom of God. Not people who have it all together. Not people seeking to be their own savior. Not people who can't come to the end of themselves and say, I need help. Not people who are saying, you know, like, I don't need you to hurry up, God. Everything's. I'm, I'm good. I'm self-sufficient. I'm okay. I love this circle of anxiety and independency. It's fun. I just want to keep doing that. Listen to what Jesus says. These people experience the kingdom and presence of God coming into their life. So if this is you this morning, you can like stand up and sing hallelujah and you're like, that's me. Then blessed are you. Happy are you. You're blessed when you experience these things. We We don't often think that. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Next. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink, and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care at the moment of being careful. You find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed when you posture yourself in a place of neediness. And all of these begin to build on one another. You're blessed. Chip Dodd, in his book, The Perfect Loss, says this about neediness. And about the Beatitudes. If all the Beatitudes were synthesized to one statement, it would be to exhale to know poor in spirit, inhale to live in gratitude. We crave life like air. Poor in spirit means to be below impoverished, okay? Like it's the bottom, it's stuck. Desperate, having no way to go but that of a rescue. It is the absorbed blow of recognition that I cannot, I can't, I can't make my own life. And fulfilled or blessed are those who awaken to their neediness and cry out accordingly in their neediness. Jesus said that those who see and feel and surrender to this depth will what? Will have God's domain open to them. You see what the enemy wants to keep us from? You see what our enemy would love to, he would love to posture us in a place of going, we've got it all together. We've got this figured out. And there's a sense where I I not only have a fear that some of us are coming in the room and we're pretending, but I think on the other side of that, I think some of us are coming in the room and we've grown into such a comfortability and complacency with life that we're missing out on our neediness. Here's what I would say about that. We're not to this point, we're, we're not to a place of saying, make haste, God, deliver me, a Lord, make haste to help me. In C.S. Lewis, writing the screw tape letters, it's, uh, it's written from uh, basically an experienced demon to his apprentice demon, and he's, he's writing in a way to... Uh, to figure out, like, here's how you're going to pull people away from God the Father. And he says this. He says, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report um, spectacular wickedness. Like, if you can get people to sin real badly, okay? That's, like, every demon would love to, like, come and report, like, oh, look at what we caused them to do. He goes, but do you remember... The one thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. He's talking about God. It's just how can we create separation between mankind and God the Father? It doesn't matter how small the sins are provided, although that their cumulative effect is to the edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. It's like a man can commit murder, but murder is no better than playing cards if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without sunpost. your affectionate uncle, screw tape. He says the, the best way that we can help navigate, the best way to lead people to hell is actually just cause gradual, moments of life that pull them further and further and further away from God our Father to a place where they don't even recognize their need to a place where they don't come before and God keeps allowing needs to arise in our life to draw us back to pull us back to show us that he is the only savior and yet we just are continuing to pursue comfortability and complacency See, it's not sin is not just avoidance of bad things, but it's lack of pursuit for godly things. And if the, if the enemy can get us disconnected from seeing our need, he pulls us out of relationship with God and disconnected from Him. So Psalm 70 verse 4, what's the response to all this? May all who seek you Seek you, seek you. In your need, we seek him. In your need, you seek him. May all who seek him rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. God is great. When we fail to see our neediness before God, when we fail to see Him as the one who engages, as the one who responds, as the one who answers, we're tempted to give praise to ourselves. Why? Many of us, our, our lack of praise, our lack of adoration for the Father is because we think we actually saved ourselves. We actually think that, that I'm the one. My mind, my might, my strength, my money, my resources, I figured this out. So everybody, like, in my family should be shouting my name, right? Justin is great. It's great. And the reality is, I did Nothing. Everything I have, my money, my might, my strength, my mind, God the Father. Everything I have has been given to me by God. He's the Savior. I'm not. It's important for me to realize where my relationship and where I stand and what my posture is before the Father. He's a Father. He's a Father. And he's not a bad father like me to Jet yesterday where I'm like, hey Jet, figure it out. Do it yourself. He's a father who provides. He's a father who gives. And that's why in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he calling to him, a child, a child. And he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to become like a child? Like, and that's the thing is so many of us have been told to to grow up that we've gotten further and further away from what it means to be a child. There's, There's been things that have happened and occurred in our life where we felt like, I gotta grow up, I gotta take responsibility. And Some of that is healthy and good, but in many ways, that's pushed us away from dependency upon God, where we see Him as our Father and we see ourselves as His children. That we realize that there's nothing we can provide for ourselves. I need the Father to do that. I need the Father to provide, and He's a Father who loves you and a Father who cares for you. It's to believe in Him. It's to believe that He is capable. Like, what child doesn't believe in his dad? Like, what child doesn't go like, my dad is awesome? And we lose that. And so what I believe that the Lord is coming, and why this passage is surfacing once again is I still think the Lord wants to move us to a place of childlike faith where we believe our Father is good, where we believe that our Father is provider, where we believe that God the Father is the giver of everything we have and we're just stewards. And literally all we get to bring is our needs before Him. So let me tell you something, if you're walking in this morning, maybe it's your first time here and you're like, dude, you don't know about me, like you don't know about my life, you don't know what I'm struggling with, you don't know what I'm walking through, blessed are you, blessed are you. If you're walking in this morning and you're pretending, the truth is there's, there's a need deep down underneath all of that even. There's something you're needing. You're needing affection from the Father. You're needing your identity from your Father. You're needing the good news of the gospel from your Father to free you up, to be able to walk in a room and go like, my life is not together. My life's a mess. And the truth is, that is the posture of the Christian church we read about in the Psalms. That is the posture of every person who calls himself a faithful follower of Jesus. I have needs. I'm needy. I'm needy. And I need help. Let's pray together. I'll invite the worship team back up. Father, would we be honest with where we're at this morning? Would we come to a true place of neediness this morning? Would we rest in the fact that we don't have to figure it out? We don't have to be strong for ourselves. We don't have to be strong for our families. The best thing our families could experience is our dependency upon you. So Lord, would we see you as our only hope, our only salvation, our only deliverer, our only help? Would we bring before you this morning a posture of neediness? Would we seek you in prayer? Would we come to the front of the stage like an altar before you and just bow before you and go, I'm not ashamed that I'm needy. I have to get down on my knees to experience all that you're coming to bring. Lord, I just want more of you. Not more stuff, more of you. Lord, help me to see when Jesus is all I have, that Jesus is all I need. Lord, meet us in these next few moments as we respond to your good news. In Jesus' name.